You're listening to the Murder Speaks Podcast, the show that spills the tea about true crime. Here's your host, Wendy Hinbest. Hey, welcome back to Murder Speaks. I hope everyone's having a great week. So today's real crime story is about 20-year-old Jody Loomis of Snohomish County, Washington. August 23rd, 1972. A couple driving along a dirt road just after 5.30 p.m. realized the road was blocked. A log was laid across the road. They got out of the car to move the log and they saw a mostly naked girl lying on the road. She was wearing panties, socks, and boots, and she was barely alive. She was bleeding from a large wound on her head, and she had a single gunshot wound to her head. They put her in the car and drove to the nearest hospital. She wasn't able to speak, and she was gasping for air. Unfortunately, she was pronounced dead soon after arrival. Once the detectives got to the hospital, they questioned the couple. They examined the crime scene. Medical experts confirmed the cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. The weapon was a twenty-two caliber. It was an execution-style murder, and it was clear the murder was sexual. It appeared the young woman was riding her bicycle when she was attacked. They located the bike and they found a pant clip that would prevent her pants from getting caught in the bike chain. The crime scene was about half a mile from the nearest home. The police got a call about a missing young woman. He said his daughter disappeared that afternoon while riding her bike to a nearby horse farm that would have taken Jody right past the crime scene. Detectives went to talk to the Loomis family, and Jody's father went to the hospital to identify the body. He positively identified his daughter. She left her house around 4 p.m. Her mother normally drives her, and apparently this is the first time she rode her bike there. It's just over six miles from her house. The last person to see Jody alive was a woman running a fruit stand. She saw Jody riding her bike and it looked like she might have been lost. The fruit stand was at an intersection about a quarter of a mile away from where Jody was found. She saw Jody around 5 p.m. and Jody was found about 5.30 p.m. The area where she was found was heavily wooded. She was raped and then she was shot in the head. The police believe the area was carefully selected. The suspect must be very familiar with the area, and he was probably a local. Police come across a man and his son. They owned the land, and they were cutting wood to get ready for the winter. They were questioned about why they were there and what they were doing. But it became obvious they had nothing to do with this. Investigators were able to confirm their whereabouts. There was no evidence connecting them to Jody's murder. Police started interviewing people. Investigators turned to the FBI for help. It was determined it was a 22 caliber handgun. The bike was sent to the FBI crime lab in Virginia to be fingerprinted, but nothing was found. A police informant alerted the detectives that a gang member was bragging about raping and killing a girl. Hey, don't forget to check out crystalkiss.com for my murder merch. Cool designs for all of you true crime addicts. If you live in the U.S. and buy three or more items, you'll get free shipping. 
Use discount code MURDER15, that's MURDER15, and save 15% on your entire order. Check out my YouTube channel, Murder Speaks. The link is in the show notes. He started talking about a girl and a bicycle, and they mentioned a white 10-speed bicycle and how they should have sold the bike instead of tossing it. Investigators checked out the two gang members. A recent police report connected one of them to a 22 caliber handgun. Police brought the gang member in for questioning, but he denied any involvement. They sent the handgun to the FBI. Turns out it wasn't the same gun. The case went cold. And then the case was reopened by lead detective Jim Scharf. Based on the reports, there were swabs collected and it was discovered some evidence was missing. The bike and swabs were missing, and the gun was missing. All of the clothing was sent to the State Patrol Crime Lab in January 2008. The test revealed a spot of semen was found on one of the boots that Jody was wearing. The DNA was put into CODIS, but no matches. They got swabs from the father and son, and they were excluded. They got samples from the gang members, and they were all excluded. Genetic genealogy was used. 77-year-old Terrence Miller became a suspect. They did not know each other, though. He was a sex offender. He was married and lived in the area. Police concentrated on the construction site where he worked. Undercover officers followed him to get a DNA sample. They followed him to a casino, and he threw away a coffee cup. They completed a full DNA profile from the cup, and it was a match to the semen found on Jody's boot. He was arrested. He was interviewed and denied being involved. Does the name Jody Loomis mean anything to you? You've been following her name in the news. I, I have no idea what's going on here. Mr. Miller, yeah, I don't know Jody Loomis. I don't know what happened to this girl. You did something to her. That's what happened. No, I haven't to anybody. He shot himself while he was free on bail during his trial and he shot himself with a 22 caliber gun. Police don't know if it's the same gun that killed Jody. The jury found him guilty. And for anybody who knew Jody Loomis, I'm very sorry for your loss. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Murder Speaks. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe. And if you like it, please share it. Sharing is caring. Also, check out my YouTube channel, Murder Speaks, for more real crime stories. And my husband and I have a podcast called 100% Brandy, so you can check that out as well. Join me again on Murder Speaks. Thanks. Bye.